today's scripture reading is John 5:31-47. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and that you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, this form you have never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is that they bear witness about me, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Caden. Well, good morning, church. Again, welcome. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to uh, be together. If I haven't met you yet, uh, I'd love to get a chance to do that. Uh, Excited to be able to open God's Word together as we continue our time in the book of John on this Palm Sunday. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, we long for you to speak to us. God, we, we come into, in, into this space acknowledging that we do not have what it takes to rescue ourselves or to even live uh, an ideal, flourishing kind of life. We need your help. We need, we need you both to, to speak to us, to, to re- reveal who we are and who you are, but also, God, we need your help in becoming more like you, Lord Jesus. Forgive us for our failures. And give us hearts fresh and new to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, imagine being accused of a crime you didn't commit. I mean, just just think about that for a moment. Like, Like accused of a capital crime, and you're just like sitting in jail waiting for the trial to begin. You wait and you wait and you wait. Finally, the day comes... And so you change out of your orange jumpsuit into something a little more presentable. And as you walk into the courtroom, you see the the judge and the jury, and like instantly, like you know your fate is in their hands, and you suppress the urge to throw up, run, or cry. You can't decide which, right? Because you know everything hangs in the balance in this moment. And the the trial begins, and you you take the stand, and you you testify on your own behalf, but you know nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to take only your word for it. But thankfully, you have three other witnesses who will will bear witness on your behalf. So you you do your part, and then you sit down, deep breath. First witness is called to the stand, a friend of yours. He solemnly swears, and 
all of that is, is grilled there in front of everybody, but he does a, he does a great job. I mean, there's no way that, that they can convict you, right? You have a, a clear alibi. It's like you hear his testimony. It goes perfectly. Sigh of relief. Witness, witness number two is the video footage surrounding the crime, and you watch. You sit there in the courtroom, and everybody watches uh, together. And there's, there's nothing that, that shows that you were there, right? The person, person on the screen doesn't look anything like you. It's going to be fine. You're like, okay, it's, it's going to be okay. And then witness number three is the written record about you, all of the, the written evidence. There's, and there's, no, there's no DNA. There's no fingerprints. There's no eyewitnesses. There's, there's nothing so at this point, like, you're suppressing a smile, right, as the, the jury walks out of the room to deliberate. It takes them about six seconds to come to their conclusions. And as they walk back in, the smile leaves your face when you quickly recognize that none of them are looking at you. It's like, well, that's, that's not great. In fact, they actually look kind of angry, which, gosh, you didn't notice that before. And then before you can even realize it, the verdict is pronounced over you, guilty. And in that moment, like you're, a lot of things are happening in your mind and your body as you as you fall to the knees, your knees crying out, right? You you're you're grieving, but you're also confused because like, man, were we in the same trial together? You're, you're outraged at this incredible miscarriage of justice, and you're thinking in that moment. We're all thinking like, what what would it take? For all of this evidence to be shown on your behalf and for the jury to still find you guilty. Like, I mean, they would have to be pretty biased, wouldn't they? Like, there would have to be some motivation inherent in them to find you guilty in the light of all of that evidence. Like, there had to be something. Like, they would have had to have already made up their mind even long before the trial began. They wanted you guilty, and it was easier to declare you guilty than to actually consider the evidence for you. And when we look at these words of Jesus in the book of John, they're, they're kind of confusing, right? If you're listening along, it's kind of hard to follow what Jesus is, is saying, but this is essentially what's going on for Jesus. Like, he's, he's there before the religious leaders, and he's essentially saying to them, you've, you've put me on trial. I've, I've, I've borne witness to myself. I've testified on my own behalf for you. I've called three witnesses on my behalf, and still you condemn me. You see, the reality is that the religious leaders of that day, they're so motivated to condemn Jesus. They're not interested in the evidence. They're not interested in this, in this case. They've decided the verdict long before the trial. They're so convinced that Jesus can't possibly be the answer that they're looking for. Or, or so convinced that if they were to, to accept him, he's going to so disrupt the lives we think we want that they've already condemned him without even really considering him. Now, of course, none of us would do that, right? None, none of us would just like sort of dismiss Jesus. I'm not, it can't, it can't be true, Right? And we do this in a variety of ways, don't we? I mean, I think if we're honest, we do. We, we, either, we either condemn certain parts of Jesus. That way you can kind of still call yourself a Christian. It's like, it's like, I like, I like what Jesus said about this and this, but this other stuff, nah. I'm not going to take any of that seriously, right? I'm not going to do that. He must have met somebody else, right? And we'd rather sort of condemn those pieces 
then actually take him seriously. Actually consider the evidence. Or, or in the other extreme, you're just, you're just not interested in Jesus at all, right? You're, you're here for some reason, right? Somebody maybe brought you, you're with family or something like that. You're like, if you're completely honest, Jesus is not for me. And it's possible that you've rejected him without actually considering him. Because for many of us, we're really, we're really not that different, which is, I think, why John includes this story. Now, our motivations are different. The witnesses that we reject are different. But the outcome is the same. We reject Jesus, or parts of Jesus, which is the same thing as rejecting him. And in the end, we are the ones who are condemned. And so the question we have to wrestle with today, whether you're a Christian or not, all of us have to answer this question. What will your verdict be? When it it comes to Jesus, who he is and everything he said, even the things you don't really care about, don't really like, what will your verdict be? If you haven't already, turn to John chapter 5. So if you're you're wondering, like it's, it's sections like this, uh, Jesus is teaching that you begin to understand why he gets murdered, right? Like, nobody, nobody kills Jesus for the miracles, right? They're not, they're not interested in that. It's when Jesus starts to talk about himself, right? The claims that he makes about himself where everybody's like, oh, no, this guy's got to go, right? It's the way he talks about himself. So the, the first part of chapter 5, we talked about this, this last week, right, uh, is Jesus' own testimony. Uh, and so he doesn't, he doesn't take the fifth, right? Uh, he... he testifies on his own behalf, takes a stand, declaring a few things. So if you remember, if you were here last week, he declared a few things pretty clearly, that he and, he and God the Father are one, first of all, which is a pretty, pretty massive claim, that he's our only hope in life and death, and that if you wanted to know, he's the ultimate judge of the universe, okay? That was all in the first part of chapter 5. This, this is I mean, pretty incredible, right? Massive claims. And so this is, this is Jesus' own testimony about himself, And Jesus, don't miss this, so in that previous section, he declares to be the judge of everything. And the irony here is when we get to this this next section, what follows, he is the one on trial. Like, don't don't miss that. The judge of the universe is subjected to their own scrutiny. He's on trial. And Jesus knows that they're not going to believe his testimony, not only his testimony, right? Which is why he says in verse 31, as this, as this section begins, he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Like, my testimony is not, it's not believed to be true. It's not considered to be true. Like, what he's saying, like, if it's just me talking, okay, dismiss me, right? I understand you're not going to believe what I claim to be about myself. That's kind of how he begins. So, like, think about it this way. Like, if you have a friend, and this friend, like, says all these really great things about love and forgiveness and community, it's like, man, you can keep that guy around. It's all right. Like, you like that guy. But then, but then all of a sudden, this friend also then says, actually, God and I are kind of the same. Um, and I am your only hope. You should know this. I am your only hope in life and death. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge the universe. Like, at some point, like, if, if a friend says, it's like, I, I think we're done being friends. Like, I'm not, I'm not interested, right? We're going we're gonna to dismiss that person as either completely crazy or so unbelievably arrogant that you wouldn't possibly want to be near him, Right? Like, this is, this is, this is kind of, you, you don't want this person. And Jesus, Jesus gets that. It's like, okay, I know. Like, if I just make these claims about myself, I understand that you're not going to want to believe me. You're not just going to take my word for it. 
So let me call three witnesses to the stand. Witness number one, the weird, beautiful life. I'd like to call John the Baptist to the stand. You solemnly swear to tell the truth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is what, this is what Jesus is doing. He's calling three witnesses. First is John the Baptist. John, Jesus says in verse 32, to these religious leaders, in this, this weird trial against him, Jesus says in verse 32, there is another, I know you're not going to believe what I say, but there is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Again, these words are a little confusing, right? It, it, gets, it gets worse. These are kind of hard, what Jesus is saying, but like, don't miss what he's doing here, because Jesus, he's not being defensive. Like, he's backed into a corner, but he's not, he's not defensive. He's not, he, says, he says some pretty harsh things, uh, but he's not, he's not trying to attack back these religious leaders who are judging him. He makes it really clear what his purposes are. He says, I say these things that you may be saved. Like, listen, guys, you may not like what I have to say, but I want your good. This is what Jesus is doing here. Whatever Jesus is doing in your life, like, this is what he does. It's for our good that you may be saved, right? Even when it makes us deeply uncomfortable. But this, this witness... John the Baptist, okay, that's who he's referring to when he talks about John. Like, John the Baptist was deeply respected by the people. He was considered, like, like a prophet like Elijah, if not Elijah himself. And that's why Jesus calls him a shining lamp, right? And the people rejoiced. And John, John was an unusual individual, right? He rejected comfort, power, pleasure, prestige, like, he sacrificed all of that in order to point to Jesus, to be this sort of forerunner of Jesus. John lived a weird, beautiful life. And Jesus is pointing to his testimony and saying, look at that weird, beautiful life. He pointed to me, ultimately. And, and the reality is, there are other people in our lives, your life and mine, there ought to be, who are a similar kind of witness as John, who bear the same kind of testimony, living this weird, beautiful life pointing to Jesus. And I know, I know what some of you are probably thinking, right? Well, actually, it's a testimony of other Christians that make me really not want to be a follower of Jesus. Anybody feel that way? I, I mean, I do, right? Sometimes, right? All the, all the hypocrisy, anger, power grabbing, scandals within the church, like you name it, we see it, we know, right? People who claim to follow Jesus and look nothing like him. I won't deny that that is a hurdle for many of us. Some of us are terrible witnesses. But not all. And maybe you have to look for them. Maybe you have to look hard for them. But don't don't look at those who pretend. Look at the weird beautiful lives of those who truly follow Jesus. Who are truly trying to live like him. Because this is what we're called to, church, isn't it? As Christians. This weird, beautiful life. I mean, every one of us, right? We're not supposed to fit in. I don't know if you know that. But like, if, we, if you fit in with your, with your non-Christian neighbors just perfectly, like with your non-Christian classmates, like there's something wrong, right? 
We're supposed to be weird, but beautiful. And our love, our humility, our self-sacrifice, forgiveness, hope. If you're not weird, you're probably not following Jesus. And if you're just weird but not beautiful in the way you live, you're probably just weird, right? (laughs) This is not who we're supposed to be. But we're supposed to behold both of those. Every one of us, if we claim to follow Jesus, if you want to bear this kind of witness, that is who we're defined to be. That's who Jesus calls. That's who Jesus was, right? That's who John the Baptist was. And we're meant to be like him. And we're meant to look at those who also live the same way and point to him. I think, I think of somebody like, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And maybe this is a, kind of an extreme example. I know it's sort of hard. I've, I've thought a lot, a lot about Dietrich Bonhoeffer over the last several months. But I think in part because of, you know, some of the own, our own Christian nationalism that's, that's happening in, in our, our culture. Or I think of this, the stuff that's happening in Europe now. Or, I mean, our family, we just finished watching 14 hours of Ken Burns on World War II. So I've had a lot of, like, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that kind of thing on my mind. Uh, and, but if you don't know his story, like, this is, this is like just, just a normal pastor, this guy. Uh, grew up in Germany. He, he actually was, was deeply influenced by the black church in New York. He lived in the U.S. for a short period of time. He actually in, intentionally went back to Germany when the Nazis began taking power because he wanted to be part of the resistance. And if you know anything about that period in history, I mean, it is, it is obviously, it's very, very dark. But what makes it even darker is that so many of the Christians in Germany just sort of stepped back and said, well, I mean, they were so swept up by their own sense of Christian nationalism, Right? That they just watched as the Nazi party took over, as Hitler gained power. And, and, but, but Bonhoeffer was like, no, we're not going to do this. He's part of the resistance. And he, he preached accordingly, and he gathered a group of people around him who were actually going to follow Jesus. And he, he was part of a plot, actually, to overthrow Hitler and try to assassinate him. I mean, this, this guy's pretty cool, right? So as a pastor, you can see why I admire this guy, all right? It's like a James Bond of pastors here. Uh, but the reality is, like, he did all this, but at age 39... A month before the war, he was executed by his own government. Not unlike John the Baptist, right? His last words to a, to a prison guard before he was hung were these. This is the end, for me, the beginning of life. That is a weird, beautiful life, isn't it? These are the witnesses we're to look to. These are the people in your life and mine that we should look at. Not, not perfect people, none of us are, right? But the imperfect people who bear witness to Jesus of Nazareth. Not pretending to follow, but actually following Jesus. Will you hear their testimony? What will your verdict be? Okay, John, you can take your seat. And now I'd like to call the jury to consider witness number two, the supernatural. It's a little bit of a hard, hard one to kind of break down, but what Jesus points to next is like evidence of more, evidence that you can't, ex- can't explain, like the things in our lives and in our world that you cannot just figure out in a science lab. This is, this is where Jesus goes next. He says, verse 30, 36, but the, the testimony that I have is even greater than that of John. So he's building, right? If you think John is something, listen to this, right? He says, For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. 
And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have not, you've never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Again, you can see why they end up killing him, right? I mean, can you imagine? Like, I love, uh, Jesus, like, he's, he's, he's a pretty tough guy, right? We don't give him enough credit for that. But imagine, like, saying to the most powerful li- religious people in your culture, hey, you've never heard from God. You've never seen God. And God is far from you, all because you do not believe in me. Yikes. Because you see, what Jesus is getting at in this, this section here is that actually God himself is also on the witness stand. Because, because God is working through Jesus to perform these miracles. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, you guys remember the guy who couldn't walk for 38 years? Have you seen him lately, right? Or the other miracles that he's doing? He's like, God himself is empowering me, is bearing witness about me that I am who I say I am. That everything in life revolves ultimately around, around me. That's what Jesus is getting at. God himself is bearing witness to me. And still you reject it. And I know for, for us in the 21st century, and I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm putting myself on this list here, okay? We're very quick to dismiss the miraculous. I mean, we get so, so uncomfortable about stories of the supernatural that are, like, posing as real. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we, we, just, we just discard that so quickly, don't we? And yet we all live as if there's more, every one of us. And yeah, it'd be, it'd be great if like Jesus would do a miracle for, for you. You get a miracle and you get a miracle, right? If we all had our own personal Jesus miracle stories. And I know, I don't, not minimize, like some of us actually have those stories, right? Some of you could tell those stories. But even if you don't, have you considered the evidence of the supernatural all around us? You know, philosophers talk about the fact that we kind of live in a closed universe in the 21st century, meaning, meaning we have a ceiling. Like, we, we believe that if you can't see it, it's not real, right? Most of us live our lives in that way, in that closed universe. And yet the evidence is still around us, isn't it? Let me just offer three quick examples, okay? And we could, we could do this all day. There's plenty of things that we could point to here, but these are my three kind of favorite, my three personal go-tos when I think about my own doubts, my own struggles with faith. Three things. First of all, love. Love. Is there, is there anything more powerful in the universe? Anything more miraculous than love? Is it really just a chemical reaction in our brains? There is not a person in this room who lives if that's, if that's it, right? Nobody does. It bears witness to a world of more. You have to explain why it, why it has that power, right? In a world without God. Second, again, this is, these are kind of my favorites, longing or meaning or beauty. You can kind of use whatever word you want there. But like, what explains your un, unquenchable desire for more? Every one of us, always more. No matter what you have, we, we want more. We long, we're so deeply longing. You know, the fact that you get out of bed every morning and live as if your life actually matters. I mean, if we're just here for a second in the grand scheme of eons and eons of, of the world's existence, then what does it really matter? Why bother? right? And yet you do. You get out of bed and you live as if it matters. Or, or beauty, right? Beauty. The way beauty makes us feel. And I like this one in particular because scientists have really wrestled with this one more recently. Uh, look, at this, look at this headline from a 2019 New York Times article. I love this. How beauty is making scientists rethink evolution. 
the extravagant splendor of the animal kingdom can't be explained by natural selection alone. So how did it come to be? Uh, one example they give, maybe you've heard this example, is of the bowerbird. Have you heard this? Like, if you've seen, like, uh, Planet Earth, I think there's a section there. One of, one of those Earth shows, I don't remember. But basically, this bird, like, spends a significant amount of its time, like, decorating its nest. Like, gathering all these beautiful items and, like, organizing them in certain, certain ways and all that. And scientists are like, there's no evolutionary reason why this bird should do this. Like, frankly, he should be dead, right? Because he, he burns calories doing this. He spends all this time doing this. Like, it's all this elaborate, like, you think he'd be hunted down by this? Like, there's no explanation except that the bird likes it. The bird just likes it beautiful, right? And so do we, right? We love beauty. All of us, every one of us is drawn to beauty. To this echoes in our world that say there's more, that, that speak into this desire of longing, this, this sense of meaning, right? It bears witness to a world of more. Let me give one more, justice. That's the third one, Justice. Why is it wrong for Russians to kill civilians? I mean, why? Because we said so? Because we, we, we don't like it? Right? Why, why, is, why is rape or slavery? I mean, these are the kind of things that in the animal world, animals act like animals, and they do this kind of stuff all the time, but when we humans act like animals, we're outraged. Like there's something within us that says, no, that cannot be. But the reality is, listen, the reality is without God, justice is nothing more than personal preference defined by the most powerful. That's it. It's just whatever, it's whatever is in taste. It's what, whatever we feel like in the moment, right? And yet nobody, nobody lives like that. It bears witness to a world of more. There's evidence of the supernatural all around us. This is, this is why, on a side note, that I'm, I'm convinced that Stephen King is doing the Lord's work. Uh, I love this guy, Stephen King. <laughs> He's just terrified. Isn't he? So, you know, he writes these, like, supernatural thrillers. And, yes, I do. I mean, that's an overstatement. Maybe not the Lord's work. But I, I do love me some Stephen King. But if you've read one of them, you've read all of them, right? And I've probably read, I don't know, 20 or 30. And they're all basically the same thing. Real evil versus real good with some sort of supernatural element, element throughout it. And we read that as fiction, right? And yet there's a little bit that when Stephen King writes that, he, kind of, he cracks the ceiling just a tiny bit in our universe. And if you've ever read him, you begin to think, well, maybe, maybe there is a little bit more, right? Maybe there is more than we can see, more than we can explain. And I think, I think Jesus and Stephen King would be friends, right? Because Jesus is saying, just look around, people. He's saying, first, look at my miracles. That's what he's saying to the religious leaders. But if we don't have those, like, look beyond even that. Do you not see evidence of God, evidence of the miraculous, evidence of the supernatural all around you? And so what will your verdict be? And then finally, witness, witness number three is the scriptures. Now, I realize this may not have the same sort of compelling weight that uh, in our culture, right, for many of us. Uh, but for them, I mean, think about, this would have been the most compelling thing that Jesus could have possibly said to these religious leaders, right, because they love this book. They love the scriptures. But the audacity of what Jesus says, he said, hey, guys, if you want to know anything, this book is about me, all of it, every page. And that you can't really even understand this book without even understanding me. Like, if you miss me, you miss, you miss everything. Look at verse 39. 
Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. And so how will you believe my words? Yeah, he's going to give himself killed, right? And, and listen, there's a, there's a strong warning in here for those of us who are Christians, who are kind of part of this religious group. It's not the main point of what Jesus is saying, but I still want, I, I, don't miss it, right? Because, because many of us, as Christians, we love this book. And we should, right? We should love this book. This book is amazing, right? And there's, there's words of life are found in this book. And many of us, we, we study it and we memorize it and we read it and all, and good, good, do that, Okay? But life comes from Jesus. And you can, you can become a purveyor of all kinds of Bible knowledge and theological fact. But if, that is, if, that, if you're using this book for something other than learning how to love Jesus and love your neighbor, you are damning yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. It is meant to draw us to him in intimacy and love, not just in Bible knowledge. Jesus doesn't want just your Bible knowledge. He wants your whole being. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, well, this one doesn't apply to me at all. It's like, why would I care what the scripture says? It's like, I don't, I don't, I'm just going to dismiss all of this anyway. And I, I get that, right? That's, that's understandable. But let me just offer two quick reasons why you should take this at least a little bit seriously, if you're going to actually take Jesus a little bit seriously, okay? Two reasons. One is the Old Testament, the other is the New Testament, okay? Because Jesus, he's specifically talking about the Old Testament in this part, right? The New Testament didn't exist yet. Uh, and the Old Testament, though, like, you have to know, like, this was written centuries before Jesus. And yes, the Old Testament, I mean, it's clearly the longer uh, and the harder of the two to understand and to read. But what does Jesus say? He says it's about him. And so first of all, again, you should either just discard Jesus altogether because he's completely arrogant or insane, right? He can't just be a good teacher and say these things about himself, right? Unless it's true. And when you actually do begin to read the Old Testament from this lens, that it's all about Jesus, it actually makes more sense, doesn't it? And then you add to that the amount of prophecy and imagery and early theology that ultimately and clearly points to Jesus, even though it was written hundreds of years beforehand. Like, it is a compelling witness that Jesus actually is who he says he is. For centuries, this book was written pointing to him finding its fulfillment in him. So that's, that's the first one, the Old Testament. The second is the New Testament, right? That's not exactly what Jesus is pointing to here, but we have more of the scriptures, right? And so if you want to take Jesus even a tiny bit seriously, like you've got to read the New Testament. These are the records of those who actually knew Jesus, who actually met him, spent, spent time with him, who actually saw him die on a cross and then come out of a grave alive. They are the eyewitness accounts. And so you, if, you, if you want to actually consider the evidence, you've got, you've got to at least read some of the New Testament. Maybe start with the Gospel of John. That's what we're studying as a church. After that, maybe, maybe the book of Acts, maybe Romans. Maybe just read the whole thing. Honestly, it's shorter than most Stephen King books. You can handle it, okay? The New Testament is not that long. 
And so what will your verdict be? Because for the rel- religious leaders, like it, there's no amount of evidence. It doesn't matter. They don't care. Like Jesus keeps going on and on and on, right? Their minds are already made up because they know that to accept Jesus is just going to cost them too much. He would disrupt their lives, their power, their comfort. And if we're completely honest, it's a lot easier to kill Jesus than it is to crown him, isn't it? And again, we, we think we're so different. But if we're honest with ourselves, for some of us, we've rejected Jesus or parts of Jesus, like the things we don't really like, not because we've actually considered the evidence, but because we just don't want it to be true. We'd rather blindly dismiss him than truly consider him. And so what about, what about you? I think there are four options that we can give here, four potential verdicts, if you're curious. First, first, you can reject the evidence. Like, I get that, right? You can do that. You can actually consider it. Like, you're taking it seriously, and you're just deciding, I don't, I don't believe this. Okay, but I, I get that. Like, but at least you've, you've been honest, right? You've been honest with yourself. You've been honest with Jesus. And you say, I'm going to reject the evidence. Okay. Second, second option, I think, is probably where more of us live, is just sort of ignoring the evidence, right? Which is the same as rejecting it. It just makes us feel a little bit better. Like, it feels so offensive to reject Jesus. I don't want to cancel Jesus, right? And so we kind of we do that instead. But I'm, just, I'm not going to actually look into it, right? I'm, I'm going to ignore, ignore him as well. Like, this, again, this is where many of us live. It's, it's just easier not to think about it. I just want to live my life and not have to bother with Jesus. The third, third option is to explore the evidence. Because uh, maybe, maybe you're not ready to give a verdict. I, I don't blame you on that. It's like my one sermon is going to do that for you necessarily. So maybe you're not ready to give a verdict, but you're also not ready just to sort of answer the question with passive indifference. Or maybe you've done that enough, and you're like, nah, I, I probably shouldn't do that anymore. Or, or simply because of your own cultural biases against Jesus. I mean, there's so much in our culture that is pushing us to, to reject him, right? Without even considering him, because we just know it's, it's too hard or difficult, or the things that he says about sexuality or, or caring for the vulnerable is like, we, you know, it kind of makes us a little uncomfortable, Right? But you don't want to reject him simply because he makes you uncomfortable. You, you're willing to explore more. If you're willing to explore more, there's a few things you can do. Obviously, keep coming here. This is what we talk about every week. Okay? This is just part of what it means. We study this book, and we, we point to Jesus. That's what we do as a church. And so you can do that. You can join a Bible study. Not for Bible knowledge, simply, but to actually encounter the living God, right? To see Jesus. You can read your Bible for yourself, right? If you don't have one, let us give you one. We'd love to do that. You can consider reading a book like Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. This is one of, my, one of my recent favorites. She wrestles with many of our strongest cultural objections to Jesus. You can read something like that as well. So that's the third option. And then, then fourth, we can build our lives on the evidence. Not, not just the things that we like about Jesus, but all of him. Receiving all of us. And then we can follow him. And we can actually become one of the weird, beautiful ones. This incredible life that he invites us into. And in so doing, you begin to see the supernatural wonder all around us, right? You begin to see that the world is significantly more than we often make it out to be. You begin to, to read this book and see evidence of Jesus all over the place, Old and New Testament, that all of it is actually about him when we build here 
And friend, if that's our verdict, because like, listen, this, there's a lot of irony in this passage, right? Go back to where we started. Like, Jesus is on trial after he's just said he's the judge of everything, right? Think about the irony of this passage. Don't miss it. He's the judge, not, not you. Yes, we have to decide, but, you know, nothing hangs in the balance for Jesus based on your decision, right? Everything hangs in the balance for you and me. Because the real trial here is us. And we are so guilty, you and me. Like, how long do you think it's going to take for the judge to make his verdict on your life and mine? I mean, let's call witness number one to the stand. Let's just say your thoughts, every thought you've ever had. Imagine if those were displayed for everyone to see. Are you really that good of a person? No. Call witness number two, every word you've ever spoken. Even just think about the ways that you've hurt the people that you love most in the world. Not to mention your last rant on social media the time you were cut off in traffic last week. Let's bring those words before the jury. Witness number three, every broken desire you've ever had, just examine your own envy, greed, lust, rage, bitterness, contempt for people who are different than you or see the world differently than you do. How long do you think it's going to take the judge This is why the good news is called good news, people. Because our, our judge does not just betray, like pronounce these, these, this judgment against us. Our judge actually came to earth, entered into this broken world. And he actually takes the verdict that should be ours upon himself. This, this judge actually dies on a cross for our sins and raises again to new life so that he can say once and for all, if you're with him, I mean, if you want to know God's verdict for you, if you're with Jesus, his verdict now and forever is loved, forgiven, that there there is hope, there's transformation, there's life, there's intimacy with a God who made you. That is what he says for you now and forever if you are with him. That is his verdict for you. And so the question is, what is your verdict for him? What will it be? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that even though you have every right to speak nothing but condemnation for us, for the ways in which we continually reject you and hurt the people around us and live with self-centeredness, you have every reason to pronounce guilty. And yet, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have taken our punishment on the cross. And that even as we enter into Holy Week, we get to celebrate and remind ourselves of what it cost you to do so and what you offer us as we follow you. Lord Jesus, make us into the weird, beautiful ones. Let that be true of us, your people, with great joy. We ask this in Christ's name.